Macalliar to Stokes, who's onside. Watch out! Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. Plus stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, this week, I'm joined by Tom. Tom, how are you? Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. How was Merry your holiday season? Yeah, it was good, John. We had a turkey. Obviously, we were anticipating more guests than we had. So when we opened Jamie Oliver's cookbook and saw that we had a, a turkey size that he described as feeding 12 with leftovers uh, between uh, two of us and my wife's grandma, uh, you know, a bit galling, but we're finished the turkey. <laughs> Seriously, still... what, on Christmas Day? Yeah, we're like, look, I knew it was a big turkey, but I was meant to have seven of us, and yeah. then three, one of which eats like a, a sparrow. So, um, yeah, so, you know, finish the turkey. But I'm really good, John. Thank you. And, and your family are well? Yeah, we, we, we're all sort of unwell. Um, baby had a viral infection this week which was a bit scary because there's quite a well-known virus going on uh, around at the moment um but he's had a test and he's he's come back negative so that's good bad news is back in work tomorrow yeah (laughs) so you know but you know i I think it's it's better that that way around um still got the christmas ham going by the way good 5th of january still going again bought the morning before the christmas plans were cancelled by the government so was planning for a lot more people is is that safe to be eating a ham 11 days after the big day i i think hams are pretty they're they're long lasting yeah all right i mean you're still here so we'll go with it you know (laughs) maybe that's where he got his virus from (laughs) actually we're we're not really feeding a nine month old um yeah, ten day old ham. Um, <laughs> Tom, I'm going to go to Ralph first. You okay with that? He, I think he supersedes me on this day, so I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see, uh, the team we have today, we had today, and to play against such a team, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know when I started to believe that we definitely can take points there, but. Uh, yeah, it is, it is very emotional and I must say I have never been that proud with any team I have coached before, I must say. So Tom, I mean, I know you didn't quite hear that because of the audio setup that we've got. <laughs> you can't hear Ralph chatting away on here. But it was a clip recorded by the BBC just at the end of the game and obviously Ralph is really emotional. And he says he thinks, you know, considering the team that he had to put out, the team that he was playing against, that that is the best he's had from one of his teams ever. Yeah. Which is quite a statement. Um, And I, I think kind of we can't ignore that. So despite the fact that we haven't spoken for five Premier League games, I think, Tom, which is which is quite a long time. Obviously, the listeners have had a chance to to hear James Beattie waxing lyrical about how his ultimate Saints eleven. I think we're going to start with Liverpool, then 
work our way back through those uh, through those other four games. But there's so much to talk about in this game, and it was just absolutely joyous, wasn't it? It it was brilliant. I think a lot of Saints were concerned. Um, it's the rumours that McCarthy was going to be out, and and Big Fraser, obviously, we know he's a great keeper, but everyone, you know worries about perhaps his distribution and his confidence and then you heard Romeo was going to be out and you heard Shea Adams was going to be out and obviously Vestigar's out so that's the spine of the team yeah that's that's four of the 11 guaranteed starters going to be out and I think going into the game you know I was like a lot of other Saints fans I was a bit worried yeah I mean I, I was as well it's a he, you have that sort of Saints lineup. Um <clears throat> you know Fraser Forster even when he was Fraser Forster's best. He was never the sort of goalkeeper that was particularly great with his feet or his distribution. You know, he was a wonderful shot stopper, um, you know, a wall at times, but definitely not someone who passes with their feet. Maybe with Vestergaard being out, that was less of a worry, but we know that Jack Stevens likes to play the ball. But that, that was probably my biggest worry. It was not so much Forster's ability as a goalkeeper, but Forster's ability to play the sweeper role and the first part of the distribution that, that Alex McCarthy's been doing so effectively. And it's funny with McCarthy because I don't ever really think of him as a mammoth or a giant or I don't look at him and think he's our best player. And I don't think he's the best goalkeeper we've ever had. But seeing how I felt when I knew he was out was it, it? It surprised me how I was feeling actually. Yeah, well, I think also he's he he represents very much the modern goalkeeper. And to your point about Fraser Forster, I think it's kind of an interesting mini case study about how football has changed in, in not very long. Mm. You know, like you know, three or four years ago when Forster was probably at his peak for Saints. Yeah, you had you know, Manuel Neuer, and you had a few other, you know, liberos, I think is what they're described as. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Ter Stegen is another one, but they were kind of the exception, weren't they, rather than the rule in goalkeepers. They were kind of the future prototypes. And what's fascinating is in three or four years now, they've actually very much become the norm, and that's mm. what McCartney managed to do, is he's been able to, you know, certainly since lockdown, get the ball out of his feet quicker, pick a pass, and hopefully touch would not make bad decisions. And I think, yeah, Forster to, to has many strengths, but I think last night going into it, you're right. You were worried that us playing it around at the back, them with their very quick, nippy players and a high press and Forster could be a bit of a toxic combination. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, and say, I mean, you couple that as well with the Liverpool lineup, which was ultra attacking wasn't it I mean they weren't really planning on doing much defending by by the looks of things with uh, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho as the two centre-backs um, they didn't have a central defender on the pitch they, they do have some in their squad some Liverpool fans have been complaining about injuries but you know as you touched on Tom we had a real spine of the team missing um, add on top of that I think the last four times we'd played them in the Premier League we'd lost four consecutive games yeah not beaten them in the Premier League for six games I think the uh, aggregate scoreline over that period was something like 17 goals to two yeah any one one of those games that we really sort of looked good in um, and then you also think that Saints hadn't scored for three games in the run up to that which which was another sort of worrying stat but I don't know, how, how are you feeling 
before the game, Tom, because I think this is the interesting thing about this Southampton. And it's the same feeling that I had with Koeman, same feeling I had with Pochettino, same feeling I had with Gordon Strachan, is that you go... I look forward to games in a way that I haven't, you know, definitely didn't do under Pellegrino or Hughes or even Puel for that matter, um, necessarily. You know, just, just thinking that we can always win, even, you know, despite all the form. Yeah, well, I think, I think this game was an interesting one because you knew Liverpool, as brilliant as they are, are coming into it in a comparatively, and these things are all relative, aren't they, in a bad run of form. Yeah, but um, a bad run of form which had left them at the top of the table. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, um, and, and, you know, they'd drawn two games that, you know, Wolves and West Brom, which, you know, out, most people would love a draw against against Wolves. So, yeah, these things are all relative. I, I was a bit apprehensive. I had to say, when I saw the lineup, and particularly when I looked at the bench, um, you know, we talk about Liverpool's injury problems, but all credit, you know, the, look at the bench still. It's still got Shakiri on it. It's mm. still... Milner on it. It's still got Origi on it. Now there are three European Cup winners. Um, it's got Minamino on it. You know they, they've still got they've got four really four or five players on that bench that would get into most to get into no they would get into a fair few Premier League teams. So you know I found it a little bit this you know we've got all these injuries. It's like well everyone's got injuries, mate. Yeah, yeah you, you know. I, I, I found it a little bit kind of. I, I was still worried though. I have to, you know, I have to say I was I was worried because it's with those forwards with Mane and Salah. Salah has something an insane record against us, and so does Mane. So I was I was you know I wasn't confident. So I mean that that's all the build up. We're exchanging messages on WhatsApp. Um, did your wife ask you about the briefing? Because Sophie looked really surprised when she was like, "Are you not watching the briefing?" And I let out an audible laugh I kind of laughed in her face I felt a bit bad afterwards um, but I was just like Pfft. yeah well look, I follow Robert Peston on Twitter so I don't need to go I don't need to watch the briefings because mm. I get it two hours in advance yeah uh, I mean I think Laura Koonsberg had uh, leaked it all before anyway no I mean and look I, you know I like a bit of positivity on a Monday night I don't need a yeah you know, there's enough depressing things in the world anyway and yeah yeah better than to watch Saints play Liverpool at home in the first game of the, the first game of the new year yeah and uh, I saw some um, fellow Saints fans describing weird situations in their house where in one room you would hear the words you know we're being placed into a national lockdown and then in the same moment you could hear cheers erupting from another room in the house I and of course that you know that ripple of, of cheers across the you know especially across the south coast of England was was not caused um by people that, you know, really looking forward to a lockdown again, but um, by a really fantastic early start from Saints. And what a goal from Danny Ings. Yeah, I, it, what was interesting is that the goal was one thing, but Liverpool were clearly rattled because they've committed a number of fouls in that first 15 minutes. I think it had two players booked. Um, but yeah, it was, a, I mean, let's, if you talk through the goal, John, bit by bit. It's a stupid foul, isn't it, mm. by Tiago? Well, I mean, let's, let's let's go back even before then, because it was good pressing from Diallo. Yeah. Who, let's remind you, he's only 21 years old, and it was only his second start in the Premier League. And I think we do need to talk about Diallo later, um, because he put in the kind of performance where if you've only watched the highlights, didn't get a chance to watch the game, I think you won't notice what Diallo did in that game, so I think we need to talk about that. Yeah, great pressing from Diallo, Armstrong wins the, the second ball. 
fouled by Fabinho again. Stupid foul. Not you know in the um, you know, UN definition of James Ward Prowse territory, but still in an area where James Ward Prowse can be dangerous from. Yeah, and and, and Liverpool um, are not a very tall team, are they? Without Van Dijk and Gomez, um, their height is is probably uh, not. You know, not something you, that comes to mind for them. So any opportunity for Saints to get that ball in the box with War Prowls, you know they're going to do it. But, I, I mean, let's talk about this goal because there's so much to like about it. Yeah, and, and I've probably watched it about 20 times now, Tom, and every time I watch it, you know, each angle reveals something else going on. It's like that amazing photograph, isn't it, from... Um, Yes, you, do you remember that photograph in Manchester with the guy yeah, the lying across the road clutching his beer? And there's about 20 different stories taking place. Yeah. It, it's the same in this free kick. Um, you know, not only is the, the distribution great, it's totally unusual. That's not normally where James Will Prowse would put the ball for that. We'd normally throw it into the sort of back post, wouldn't we? Aiming for Vestergaard or, or Bednarek. But doesn't Ward Prowse motion that it's going to the back post? I th- well, he does That's, his hand up in the air thing. So, I mean, it was clearly, I mean, it was clearly worked out on the training ground. There was there was some hand signalling going on. Liverpool are playing with a high line, which they've clearly prepared for. Should we talk about Stuart Armstrong? Because Danny Ings revealed this in his post-match interview, didn't he? And that yeah. was the first thing I looked for after that. There's a number of moving parts here, but I think the first one is well, there's two I think are important. One is the jump of Walcott in front of. Mm. Trent Alexander-Arnold, where he doesn't go anywhere near the ball. But, but, but totally um, distracts Alexander-Arnold from the real threat. But then you're right. I mean, Stuart Armstrong pushing James Milner, um, pushing Jordan, Jordan, Henderson. Jordan Henson a yard into the box is just a work of absolute genius. And what's clever as well is, like, you know if that was Van Dyke, Van Dyke is just not moving. Or probably Gomez, they're just not going anywhere. But... Obviously, Saints know they're weak. And just by doing that little clever thing just gains Saints the yard they need. Yeah. And it's one of those things, it's another talking point, I think, Tom, that we should talk about offsides Um, because Saints do find themselves offside rather a lot. But that was so clever from Armstrong. And and I think this shows a sort of level of tactical astuteness that we've not seen in a Saints side for a very long time. The dark arts, and we've talked about it with James Will Prowse. Um, I don't really know why Danny Ings is revealing this to the world in his um, in his guys. Yeah, I, I guess he's yeah. It's one of those things that you want to show your workings where you know you've been really clever. Um, and I mean, it, it is, but that's Saints being nasty, and that Saints like doing things that other teams have done to Saints year after year, season after season, and we've fallen foul of. And it's so good that we've now got players that are willing to blur the boundaries around the rules of football to make it work in our favour. It's something we just haven't done enough of in the past. And Wenning said that when I watched it back and saw... um, Armstrong doing it, I thought it was great. And uh, shout out to my brother who seemed to spot that before any of yeah. us did. I think, yeah, you're right. I think yeah, also Armstrong is a nice guy, isn't he? He's like the guy that you'd, you'd want to date one of your friends. And so is James Will Prowse. And if they're doing this stuff... Um, what are the nasty guys doing? The nasty guys doing, you know. Well, I don't know if Saints do have any bad eggs, really. I think Romeo maybe. But yeah, it, it's... Um, yeah. 
S Houndsbury, as it's been described, and we we just love to see mm. it. Absolutely love to see it because if you're going to beat a team like Liverpool, you know you're going to have to or Man City. You have to do everything you can. Well, and it's, a bit, it's nasty. Exactly, and if you look at the most dominant um, force of the Premier League era, which you know Manchester United won what 13 league titles in 26 seasons, you know half of all the Premier Leagues they've won, um, and their team has always been littered with players. Those Alex Ferguson winning teams have always been littered with players that are willing to do this sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah, you, obviously Roy Keynes, but yeah. yeah. But Van Nistelrooy as well was an expert at this sort of thing. You know, there's so many of them. Um, you know, and, and this is before we even got to the point of the finish, the no-look lob over Allison into the top corner. I mean, come on, this guy is a genius. Danny Ings is so good. Yeah, there's I mean, so much to love about him. There's so much. I mean, he's just great, isn't he? Whatever it costs, getting to sign that new contract, they've just got to get him to sign it. But it's a great free kick. Walcott jumps in front of Alexander Arnold, who seems to completely lose the fly of the ball. But there's still so much to do, and I think one of the great things about it is if if the ball doesn't go in, I st- I think and it, and it's going wide. I think Stevens gets a, a header. Mm. I, I think it's just a really clever move but I, I totally believe that Ings was going for goal and I think and one of the great not only was it a really good goal not only was it a really important goal and, and it was brilliant to see but Ings been under a bit of pressure mm-hmm. you know he came back from that injury he's not been quite right just scored a penalty in that time Saints have been flat they needed a goal didn't they they needed an early goal yeah and they got and, and we've been quite good at getting the early goals so um it was great to, to get that business done early. Um, <clears throat> I think kind of what followed was less unnerving than I would have perhaps expected. I mean, if you take the game against Man City last season, mm. it felt like they pushed us a bit more after that. I mean, even Arsenal were much more threatening after we went 1-0 ahead of them quite early on in, in you know the game five games ago. And, you know, Liverpool had quite a lot of possession after this. I think overall it was about two-thirds Liverpool, one-third Saints. But they were always kind of crowded out on the edge of the box, having to push it wide. Mane and Salah weren't getting in the dangerous positions that you need to. Firmino was was pretty much anonymous. Um, yeah. And that that is, that is amazing work. And this is one of the things which Saints, um, I think Ralph has said before, that they like to try and get an early goal because then they can crowd out teams and that 4-4 or the 4-2-2-2 formation can allow you to, to crowd out the midfield, force teams wide. I thought Stevenson Bednarek did brilliant at um, you know, blocking lots of crosses. Fraser Forster swiped a few away as well. You know, the high ones Fraser Forster was kind of dealing with, the low ones Bednarek and Stevens were putting their body on the line. And they, Liverpool never really carved out a, a decent chance. I think the only chance which really had me worried was the three ball to Salah which Foster Foster blocked, but subsequently yep. it was an offside was given anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think they, they didn't have their first shot on target until 75 minutes, and that was a very weak, almost pass, to be honest, mm. to, from, from Mane. Yeah, and they huffed and they puffed a lot. But credit to Saints. Uh, you mentioned the centre-backs there, but also you know, Carl Walker-Peters up against probably the best player in the world, Mane. You know, that's a big shout. Like, that no, I think it is. I think you know, if you look at yeah, yeah, you, yeah, maybe 
Lewandowski, but from, you know, Sane could, could swing it. I think, you know, but he didn't give him an inch. Mm. And, and they were brilliant to a man. They were absolutely brilliant. They put their body on the line. A lot of Saints fans, you know, give stick to Jack Stevens. I've got no idea why. You know, you and I are, are better at our jobs mm. uh, four or five years ago. I don't know why people can't see the fact that Jack Stevens is better at his job than he was four or five years ago. You know, he he left everything on that pitch, him and Bednarek. And I think, you know, all credit to Saints because, you know, I saw a statistic on the, um, some Liverpool fans on The Athletic saying, well, you know, we dominated the game. You know, Southampton had 44 clearances in the box. Like, But that's just generally, in my, in my view, Liverpool were just kind of reduced to sort of hitting and hoping it. Yeah, into the box. There wasn't, they, you know, they didn't work Forster really. No. And you think that you, you think they're coming off the pitch saying, you know, as soon as they knew Forster's playing, they go right, test him, test him, like, and and they didn't do it. But I mean, Saints didn't even let them get a shot away from the edge of the area, or even you know, twenty five yards away. They were very speculative, you know, when they were shooting, they were leaning back, mm. you know, kind of, they were shooting because they kind of run out oh, of Oh, there are a couple of good rosettes, weren't there, in there? Yeah. I, I, all credit to Saints. And, you know, they were, to a man, they were brilliant. But, mm. I mean, John, who stood out for you? Well, I, I mean, before we kind of move on to who stood out, I, I would, there's a few more talking points I'd like to pick up from the game. So I thought Gineppe injury... But then Teller coming on was an interesting shout, and I think it worked. I felt sorry for Gineppo because he was actually having a really good game. He, he he was, wasn't he? He was fired up. He was doing really well. He was he was defending well, and he also, I think, he had the measure of Alexander Armstrong. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> Alexander Armstrong from Pointless, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Alexander Arnold. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, he had the measure of him. You know, and he he'd beaten him a couple of times, and I. He seemed genuinely upset. Mm. Oh, well, he, he was in tears when he came off, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Teller comes on, which I think is a big shout, but also uh, Teller had a really good chance. Yeah, amazing play to kind of create the chance. I think a flick on from Ings, but then Teller took it really nicely, made the space for himself and just curled it wide of the post. A little bit more whip on it and that would have been 2-0. Um, I also thought... Um, we, we've already mentioned Carl Walker-Peters, who I thought was doing really well against um, Mane, but also Bertrand kept Salah very quiet as well. Yeah. Uh, he, he gave a great tackle on him in the box, didn't he, which had a VAR check, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And Fabinho just couldn't cope with the midfield battle at all. He got booked and then committed another five or six fouls, I think I, I counted. Do you, mean, with, do you mean Thiago? Yeah, sorry, not Fabinho, yeah. Thiago, yeah. I mean, Thiago... What Thiago, Thiago looked very rattled, but my God, what a footballer. Mm. Yeah, didn't he? Like when he had, there was a bit where he volleys the ball across the, the pitch and started his hat. What a footballer. But yeah, I think the thing is. It's a, a great footballer, but that wasn't the game for him, that was it? That, 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 was a, that was a battle that game. Yeah. And, and you know, you got like Ward Prowse snapping into everything. Diallo snapping into everything. Armstrong you know, back to his best, like brilliant defending and attacking. I, I think that's the best we've seen from Armstrong since he came back from COVID. Oh, 100%. He looked well up for it. You know, he signed that new deal, um, which is great news for the club. Um, you know, him and Walker-Peters were unstoppable. Um, there's no one, you know, 
to a man, they were brilliant. Yeah. And you're, I mean, Ings' movement to create that teller chance was fantastic. And yeah, Saints went into halftime pretty comfortable. Yeah, we we we, we did. Following halftime, I think you know that we we've talked about. Um, Mane's kind of Liverpool's only shot. We had Stevens' nice sliding block when Mane was trying to put it across goal. I thought that was good, but Forster had it covered anyway. We had the Mane penalty shout, and and I've got to admit, when I saw him go down, I thought, oh, that's it, that's the penalty. Do you mean the uh, the tackle from Walker Peters? Yeah, yeah. I, I, my initial reaction was it's a pen. Yeah, and I've got to say, Andre Mariner's not my favourite referee. But he got this absolutely right because the first time I saw it, I thought it was a pen to Liverpool. Second time I saw it, I thought it was a pen to Liverpool. Third time I saw it, I thought it was a penalty to Liverpool. And it was only about the fourth or fifth times once I'd had what was going on explained to me that I saw that it wasn't a penalty. And even then, it was a still a little bit... It, yeah. I think I'm surprised it wasn't given, Yeah, you know, being Liverpool, but... I think it's a good example of a player's reputation preceding them because Mane does get, the legs get tangled. Mm. Mane takes an extra step and then sort of throws himself. I, th- I think kind of what worked in Carl Walker-Peter's favour when they showed the replay is he clearly pulls out of the tackle when he realises yeah. he's not going to get it. And I, I, was, I was listening to Talk Sport this morning and they had um, Andros Townsend on, who's very good and very erudite intelligent commentator and he was saying you know not all not all contact is a penalty just because you make contact doesn't mm. make it a penalty and his view is that it wasn't a penalty and and but my initial reaction was it looked like a pen mm. but you know so you need that luck at times yeah I'd, I'd kind of like emotionally sort of checked out at that, that point and i was just waiting for liverpool to sort of like you know give myself a 30 second breather before we we finish the penalty so then when <laughs> just saw play continue i was just like oh this is great glad yeah. this is going on and well, then um, checks they were fast weren't they yeah they were quick they were better at it Sweet. new year's resolution quicker var checks yeah. they're stuck to it so far well done um and and actually you know we've mentioned the Mane chance in the 74th minute but the the next biggest chance in the game after the Saints goal the teller shot was actually the Valerie nutmeg of Allison, which just didn't quite have the legs did it it was it reminded me of you remember Stuart Armstrong's goal against Aston Villa yeah. last season um yeah but let's also a player that's a bit maligned you know a bit unfancied came on and did a great job didn't he Valerie he really shored up that right hand side he, and he, desperately unlucky not to score. Yeah, I mean, he was really, really good. And it really surprised me when he brought Valerie on for Walcott, who I thought had been doing really well, by the way. He just didn't have anyone else, though, did he, John? Sorry? He just didn't have anyone else. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose not, but it, it seemed more thoughtful for that than that. And I thought um, Dan and Lundulu as well, was causing havoc for Liverpool. He looks a good player. Yeah, I mean, I thought Teller, um, Lundini de Diallo, um, Valerie when he came on him, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't on for very long, and obviously that's not his position. But yeah, you know, dis- may, maybe that's an option. Yeah, he was, but he was disciplined, didn't he? And also Robertson, you know, what a player he is, and everything they did through Robertson. And he can really just do anything, can't he, he wants. And it made sense to shore up that right-hand side. And also Theo's probably knackered at that point. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, by this point, we're, 
we're unlucky not to win this game by more. Yeah. I mean, astounding, really. And then there's that great stat, Tom. So the Saints have now beaten every Premier League title winner the season after they've won the title. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a weird stat. It is really weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, but we'll take it. Yeah. So, so the final whistle goes. Ralph collapses into tears. Fit of tears. So I think this is a big thing for Ralph. Cause I, I've been trying to work out. I mean, we heard the audio clip earlier and I think he, he genuinely felt like with the team that he had, the players that he had playing against Liverpool, it would take a tactical mastermind to get anything from them, which, okay, tick. Subs, brilliant, tick. Every player on the pitch gave absolutely everything. You throw that other one in. He's got a dreadful record against Jurgen Klopp. I think he's lost every managerial battle he's had against him and the trailer. So it's all... And you've also you've got to think of the stress of last week of his wife testing positive for COVID, you know. Um, he's a little bit older than, than we are, Tom. You know, there's a chance that that can affect him, you know. And, and say, so I think this was just an outpouring of emotion, you know. And he, he said um, as well how horrible he found the experience of watching the West Ham United game at home. Uh, and one of the things I've enjoyed about lockdown football is not having the fake crowd noise on and just listening to Ralph. He talks the whole way through the match. He, he guides the players. Yeah, he tells them what to do. Yeah, he, he is every, every single position on that pitch. Yeah, and I, I think the emotional response, it's funny because, I again, I was listening to the radio this morning and they were taking the mick a bit saying, what film should Ralph not watch? He shouldn't watch up. And it made me think... Uh, for me, it's Paddington too, Tom. Paddington, well, any of, the, any of the Paddingtons, to be honest, John. Um, but like, I... You know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about men not showing their emotions and stuff. And I actually thought it was, you know, and the, the damage that brings. And I actually thought it was brilliant to see Ralph just sort of let it go. And I mm. think, A, because it's just good to see how much he cares. But also I think he cares because, you're right, a lot of players missing against probably the world's best team, who even though they've got players missing themselves, still have two of the world's best, probably five or six forwards mm-hmm. playing. Still have the two the world's best fullbacks. Um, still have Thiago. Still have incredible players. But also, I think maybe it's because, you know, maybe if we maybe if we'd have had our first choice eleven out there and we'd have won, he might have thought that. But maybe it's because it shows the the kind of drum the training and drumming it into mm-hmm. the players. So that in the end, it doesn't matter that our front two are Nlundalu and Teller. And it doesn't matter that Valerie is playing on the right wing. And it doesn't matter that you've got Diallo, who's starting his second game and has only played five games before that in the French top flight. You know, it doesn't matter because he's coached. You know, like, and, that, and maybe that's what it's about as a coach. Maybe it's about the fact that, that it shows that he's having an impact because there's no way in hell Saints would have held on under any other manager. Not, not a chance. Um and the emotions are really good point because it's the way that fans connect with a manager. Yeah. You know, the, the, re- the reason there's, there's like football appreciation, isn't there? Where you go to watch good players and appreciate good football. And then there's supporting a team 
which is a massive emotional investment. It's huge. I worry about saints much more than I should do. It, it, it consumes <laughs> a large portion of my um, you know, daily thoughts. My heart rate, while sat on the sofa, reached a peak of 106 beats per minute. Uh, last <laughs> night, Tom, which is not, not that's not good job. That's not more like that's that's that a that's a physical happen. emotional reaction yeah. to to the to the team, and I I think it's you know it's so much worse when a manager doesn't show any emotion. I think with Claude Puel, the only emotion we saw was in that semi final when Shane Long scored and he finally yeah. celebrated. And it's just like when you as a fan invest loads of money, time and emotion into a, into a side to see a manager that cares as much, maybe whisper it, maybe, maybe he cares more than some of us, Tom. Like, I'm sure he does. He's invested, John. And also he's, you know, he, he's there by all accounts every single day working insane hours. And, and you've got to remember he's, a, he's had a proper, um, you know, tragedy loop. You know, the game that shall not be named and to come back. And if you think there's a number of high points on the way back, there's Leicester mm-hmm. at Leicester. There's milestones, isn't there? And then there's, I think the Man City game is another is another milestone. And I would actually put last night, I think those are kind of the three most important results. Mm. You know, because they all for different reasons. One is exercising a demon. You know, one is the second Man City game is about backs to the wall, holding on. And then last night was about out-fighting and out-tactically thinking. Probably the uh, best Arguably the best manager with the best squad. Yeah. And and what he should he's entitled to be emotional. He's entitled to feel it. And, you know, Saints have sat through a number of managers in recent years who, um, to use Puel, Puelagrino, they're just kind of robots. Mm. Don't really I, I, I'm sure they cared, but they never showed it. And rightly or wrongly, Fans, Saints fans, want to see people who care. Which was the game where Ralph came in at the end and said it's scary? Was that when we topped the table briefly? Yeah, well, I think that was when he said, you know, you, you sh- I'm scared of what this team can do. Yeah. And then I, I think that also shows the because you look at the squad, the depth isn't there. The players. James Ward-Prowse was a fringe player when he started. He's now with a really good shout of being on, on in the squad for Euro 2021, if it happens. Um, Danny Ings, you know, reborn. Chairdoms, because, you know, absolutely a Premier League player. Theo Walcott, finding this new form. Stuart Armstrong has, has been brilliant as well. Jack said, Arthur Goldblum, the best back in the league. You then, you know, throwing in the sort of Teller, Danlan Dooley, you've got Diallo coming through. Remote has just been, you know, absolutely fantastic. And you just go through um, what he's done with that team. And, you know, he's, he was scared. He, he found it scary when Saints were performing well enough to be top of the league. He's just beaten Liverpool. And, OK, it's a bit frustrating that we haven't beaten Arsenal Man City, Fulham, West Ham, whatever. He, he could, uh, arguably, none of them are as good as this Liverpool side. Um, but also that emotion, I think, is just like he. This, he, I think, he realizes now how important it is because once you've beaten Liverpool, you can beat anyone. He's beaten Liverpool. He's beaten City last season. You know, we we we, we can beat anyone. So therefore, 
anything yeah. is possible. Yeah, and we ran Man United close. They're second in the league. Mm. We gave Man City a hell of a game. You know, like those are, if anyone wins the league, there's not Saints, it's going to be one of those three teams. And we've taken them all pretty much to the wire. Mm. Um, yeah, like why not? And, and I think, yes, we've got a, a paper thin squad, but we're not playing in Europe. We're out of the Carabao Cup. Um, we've got a fairly generous first, a third round tie in the FA Cup. You know, that, that period of manic games that we've just gone through, touch wood, we might have it. Mm. Um, Not many I, teams have come out of it particularly well, probably apart from Man United, aren't they? Yeah, and I think Romeo, you know, Romeo is going to be back in a, in a week or two, you know, probably back for the Leicester game. Ings is clearly back and is clearly fit. McCarthy will hopefully be back. And then you're looking just with Vestergaard down. Um, and, uh, yeah, all credit to them. They were just magnificent last night, John. I mean, I, I just don't... I can't remember a better performance. I think it was better than the Man City game because the Man City game had an element of luck about it. I think, mm. you know, it, they still... You know, how many shots did Man City have in that game? Liverpool had very little last night to worry Saints. Yeah. So, I mean, Tom... Uh, one of the interesting things you just said, Romeo's coming back. Is, does Romeo have to be a little bit worried here? Diallo's silky. Diallo looks good, doesn't he? I mean, he, what he looks like, he's he looks like um, he's more comfortable running with the ball mm. than Romeo does. And there was a moment last night where he, I think he was, I can't remember who's fouled by. It might have been Thiago again, where he when he drops a spin around him, and you just thought like this guy is going to be a serious player and you're right he 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 didn't sort of you know you wouldn't know the name if you just watched the highlights um but you and i know the comparisons to kante are probably a bit lazy because they're both defensive midfielders from france um that no one had really heard of before but like he just he looked like he did the simple things really well i tell you what he looked a hell of a lot better than kante did against um, man city yes yeah i mean he and also, it's an eleven million pound player, which obviously is a lot of money to you and me, John. But in Premier League football terms, um, it's not. I I think it's scary that a player can come in. Um, was kind of in my head thinking he was going to be in a real shout for player of the season. So far, yep, he's been That's absolutely great. outstanding, and he, he probably should get his place back in the team. But so it isn't he. Well, Diallo will play against Shrewsbury, you mm. imagine. He's not going to risk Romeo in that game. Right. Um, and then he has a really difficult decision to make against Leicester. But also the emergence of Diallo might give Ward-Prowse a rest. Mm. I know ward like the fittest player in the Premier League, but sooner or later, he's going to need a rest. Um, yeah, Ward-Prowse just... is probably looking at his maybe 39th year as the chance to have a rest, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, top level that? professional from the age of sixteen to thirty eight. I think he'll be. Yeah, Diallo looks fantastic, and I think he didn't look out of place, did he? Last night, he's not. Well, there's not one moment where he kind of looked like he did look lost. And bear in mind, he's playing against Wijnaldum, mm. Thiago. Uh, yeah, there are no mugs. No, um, Fraser Forster. I mean, he was his first clean sheet for Saints for a very long time. It's his first. Performance for Saints for I'm top the that. How how did you think he got on? So it was his first game for ten months. Yeah, last I think in March for Celtic, 
he looked a bit shaky, didn't he, at the start? His cooking, his kicking looked a little bit off. Mm. Um, to be generous, he, but, he stopped trying to pass it out from the back, didn't he? Yeah, he just started lumping it. Yeah, which I was more comfortable with anyway. Yeah, because it looked like the passes were going to go wrong. I think a couple of them did. Um, but I think what did in the world of good, and you mentioned it already, was that challenge on Salah. Mm. I mean, yeah, it was offside, but he didn't know that at the time. Um, I think that did him, that, that was the moment where you were like, you know what, he can do this. And I think he claimed a couple of crosses. And anyway, is it, you know, it was kind of a free shot for Saints, wasn't mm. it? If they'd lost, I would have conceded three or four goals, as long as they weren't all his fault. No one would have minded because it's Liverpool and that's just what they do to people. But what's that? He got five clean sheets in six games, six career games against Liverpool now. Um, he must want to play him every week. But I, I, I thought he was, you know, he was so interesting. You know, hitting I, constantly, he's you? the quietest person, Tom, normally, isn't yeah. he? Just but whispers to his defenders. They've obviously, you know, to, to succeed at Saints, if he wants that number one slot of Alex McCarthy... And there's no reason why you can't have it. I mean, everything's up for grabs in that team. Um, he's going to need to do what he's done, which is learn to play with his feet, which is what McCarthy's done, and be a more dominating presence, which is what McCarthy's done. I thought he played well overall. Yeah, I, I thought so. Tom, are there any other players you want to give a shout-out to before we move on to some of the other stuff? Uh, I, I thought Daly Ings had a, a really good game. Yeah. Outside of the goal... It was kind of Danny Ings back to his best, wasn't it, in terms of he was defending. You know, there was a great moment in the second half where he chases down Alexander Armstrong. and, and <laughs> said it again. Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, Alexander-Arnold. I've got to stop that. I watched too much Pointless. Isn't and it also Dougie as well? It's a lot of Hey Dougie as well yeah. now. I love Hey Dougie. Um, but yeah, and he, he chases him down. I don't know if you remember this, John, and he blocks it. Yeah. And you're like, he leads from the front. And just Saints look just better with him in, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I also want to give shouts out to Stephen, those Ed and Rain, virtual performances for a long, for a little while. It's yeah. understated, but he just, this is the thing with Bertrand, is you don't necessarily have to notice him for him to be doing really well. He manages, he, he managed, I thought he managed this part of the pitch really, really well last night. Yeah. And two, he's got, he's played 201 games for Saints. You know, he's a remarkable servant. And, um, yeah, he looked very good. But also, Carl Walker-Peters, John. Was, it, was he your man of the match, Tom? Yeah. I mean, he is surely not that much of an outside bet. If we're talking about James Ward-Prowse going to to the European Championships, yeah, there's no reason why Carl Walker-Peters can't go. Mm. I, is I don't fantastic. know, is Gareth Southgate watching these games? I mean, that's that's the question. Isn't he? He's not showing up in stadiums anymore. No, you'd hope so. But I mean, who have we got? Right, we've got... Carl get it right. Alexander Arnold, Alexander Arnold, Carl Walker, who is a nightmare and a liability, and um, Kieran Trippier, who loves gambling. So, I think all three of those will be ahead of Carl Walker Peters, and I don't necessarily think that all three of them are better, but I think they'll all be ahead of him. Yeah, um, he's got. He's only young. Yeah. Uh, I thought the subs were all brilliant. We've already talked about that question here, Tom. I mean, I think I know what your answer is going to be because you've said you think he's the best player in the world. But genuine question to our listeners, email in. Sadio Mane or Danny Ings, who would you rather have? And as I'm not saying who's the best player, I'm just saying right now, who would you rather have? 
in this same game with Spurs? You'd take Ings because I think Ings... I think the, the players look up to Ings, don't they? Yeah. They're, they're almost like a sort of like best-looking kid at school, school, captain of the school football team, which I bet Danny Ings was both of those. Um, vibe about him. Um, and I think as well there's a lovely hierarchy, like an old-school hierarchy with Ings where Adams is the number two striker, but that's not actually a demeaning thing. Yeah. You know, like his job is to make life difficult for people and get chances for Danny Ings and score a few goals. Um. You got, I mean, Ings loves it. I mean, God, I think we all wish we were Danny Ings. <laughs> I mean, that would be childhood dreams. 50th Premier League goal for him. Yeah. I, 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 brilliant for Saints. I mean, he's got like 37, I think, of those mm. for Saints in the Premier League. Um, I mean, it'd be great if he could hit 50 for Saints this season, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, there's no, well, there's no reason why he can't. We've got over half the season to go. If he stays fit, mm. there's every reason he could do that. Any, you know, any kid. Um, so Tom, I mean, one of the other talking points, and say I'm going to be real nitpicker here, but it's actually I'm nitpicking a little bit, um, a little bit from the last four or five games, should we say? Yeah. Offsides. I think Southampton Football Club have a problem with offsides. John, where are we in the league table for offsides? Well, it's funny that you should say that, Tom, because I have the league table for offsides in front of me right now. Uh, Leeds United are number one. They've been offside 40 times this season. Manchester United are number two. They've been offside 36 times this season. And Southampton are third, and they've been offside 35 times this season. That's only about, what, just over twice a game? Mm. Feels like more. It does feel like more. I mean, it was certainly more last night, wasn't it? I mean, there was one where Stuart Armstrong just didn't release the ball early enough. Yes. Um, well, I think it was, was it? Yeah. And, yeah, I, t- I and guess... Two goals I, chalked off. For- three goals chalked off in the last three games for offsides. Yes, you're right. So, mate, is it is it not so much that we're getting loads of offsides, although we are getting more than most teams in the league. Is it that our offsides, because of our, uh, our overperforming XG, to talk mm. like you, Evan, is it that we're noticing them offsides more? Because like you say, that's cost us three goals. Yeah, I, I, maybe we're noticing it more. I mean, there's no doubt that if we're the third worst in the Premier League, there's definitely something there. If you're seeing it, and then there's a statistical evidence base for it, then I think... That's definitely the you know there's there's something to be considered there. Um, I guess it's frustrating as well. Proof that I've celebrated and then have been chalked off, so I felt it more. Yeah. Than normal, but also, I don't know. I, I think Theo Walcott seems to find himself offside quite a lot. Although Che Adams is actually our worst offender in the league for offsides. Is this just a consequence of the football we play, where we Make play it- high? Pitch. Maybe, but I also feel like if A, we release the ball just that tiny little fraction quicker or our strikers were a little bit more intelligent in sort of running alongside before they sprint forward, then we would be scoring even more goals. Yeah, I'd, may, I mean, I think offside's a funny one, isn't it? Because players are so fast now and mm. centre are also fast and the old days since back obviously like big fat lumps and now they're actually just superb athletes like everyone else on the pitch um saints don't generally take shots from distance do we 
really. I think that's kind mm-hmm. of a we eschew doing that. So a lot of a involves the the number the two tens trying to get in and alongside the forwards and make overloads. So I wonder if in the you know in the in the nature of that sort of style of football, you know, flooding the red zone, overloading defenders and really trying to kind of be quite forensic mm. with our well, I wonder if it lends itself to more. I think just chance and takes more chances and it takes more risks. Yeah. Teams in the past. And that's the consequence of, you know, of of you know, if offsides are the price we pay for that then I think Ralph will still be happy with it. Yeah. So basically, you're telling me to, to back off, Tom. Let oh, Saints just, have their offsides. You know, let, if things are going well, then... Yeah, but let them... You know, they've got a system that works. They've got a system that's working for them. And, it, and, it, and you know, part of that, obviously, is, is you know, it's not working perfectly, but they're going to get... Teams are going to catch some offside. Do you want to hear another kind of ridiculous stat? Go on, then. The exact same fixtures last season, so the homes and the ways. We're at, but we've actually got fewer points from mm-hmm. the teams that we've played and the games that we've played. Interesting, I guess, because we beat Palace away, we beat Tottenham at home. Yeah, and those are two games we lost. We beat Man City, Man City at home. So those are three games. Three of our four losses. Mm. We had four. Yeah, three of our four losses we won last year. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What does that tell us? Tell us the form or does not remember at all? Well, in theory, it should tell us that we're underperforming on, on what we were doing last season. Um, I felt like we had a good season last season. Well, we had a good second half of the season, didn't we? And a bad first half of the season. You know. That's that's kind of the, the story of last year. But also, I suppose, you know, if we reflect, this is our first game of 2021. 2020, Saints were, I think, the fifth or sixth best team in the calendar year season. Fourth best team, I think, after, was it Man City, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea? Yeah, I think. maybe Man United. or May, yeah. May 5th, yeah. The calendar year thing is funny because it doesn't mean anything, but also it does mean a lot. Mm. Um, well, it shows a sort of a season length consistency, doesn't it? Yes, and and also I think it shows you know the game that shall not be named was what October twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you use not that as the springboard, but the Everton game after it, which we all agree was probably a worse, yeah, um, and probably where we all thought Ralph would say bye. Um, yeah, since then, you know, that Arsenal game that we went to, Saints have just been pretty unstoppable. Yeah, the they've time. been good. Um, yeah, they've, and, they've yeah, been on, a couple of clangers, but not many. No, and I think the clangers, touch wood, seems to be getting fewer and further mm. be- between. I'm trying to think. What's a clanger we've had where we've really... I mean, l- losing, being 2-0 up at home to Wolves, that's a clanger. 2-0 at home to Man United was a bit of a clanger. Yeah, but they're rare now. And the Tottenham game, I think, was a clanger. But I think the Tot- I think a way to think about the Tottenham game, it may be much like the Leicester game, which I've just named, even though I said I wouldn't name it, um, had to happen to affect change. Mm. The Tottenham game 
had to happen to affect change. Yes. Maybe you just have to go through these things at times to to have real radical change. Something pretty dire sometimes has to happen. Yeah. Um, so let's have a look back at the other the previous four fixtures. We drew nil nil with West Ham. We drew nil nil with Fulham. Anything to say on those, Tom? Uh, I think the, I think a lot of the time, me included, Saints fans were pretty miserable after those two games. I actually think that when the when the season is over, I think actually the West Ham point will look like a pretty good one, and I think the Fulham point will look like not a bad one. Yeah, I mean, getting a point away from home, I think, even if it is one of the relegation battlers, it's better than losing. Yeah, and clean sheets. Yeah, and then we also had the Arsenal-Man City games, which I thought were both interesting because um, Arsenal and Man City both did the same thing. When Arsenal went down to 10 men, they defended like they were playing against peak Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Man City did the same against Southampton. What does, what does that say? I wonder if that's a bigger statement almost than the Liverpool game. How how many times would a Man City side, a Pep Guardiola-led Man City side, go out and defend a 1-0 lead like that? They would normally go out and try and score more goals, wouldn't they? Well, they normally try and win about 6-0, don't they? Yeah. I think they gave Man City a really good game. I, I think, you know, Guardiola said that after the game, and Ralph wasn't particularly upset with the loss. Um, what's interesting with Ralph is he doesn't seem to get annoyed about losing. He gets annoyed about the performance. Mm. So we lose and play well, like the against Man City. He's generally fine with it. He seems to be super relaxed about it. Um, it's when we play poorly that you know, like Man United, he was he took it. It seemed to take it publicly in pretty good, you know, pretty good way. Um, disappointed but proud of the performance. Uh, you're right. I mean. Saints are probably, you know, this is why the Leicester game is really interesting because two really horrible teams to play against. But you can't imagine there's any team in the league that wants to play Saints right now. No. Um, and and we're four points off the summit, John. Anything can happen here. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Um, God, it really is great. I think yeah. You just... Who would have thought that um, in the new year we'd be four points from the top of the league? Yeah. And the thing is, as well, this is not now. You know, we spoke about the Newcastle game. You know, we are now nearly, depending on which club you're looking at, halfway through the season. Yeah. Um, And we played a lot of hard games. We played Chelsea away, played Man City, played Man United, played Liverpool. Um, You know... There's there's a lot to play for for Saints here, um, and I genuinely yeah, I don't know where they. I mean, yeah, they're highly unlikely to win the league, but is a is top four place out of the possibility? I don't think it is. Tom, I, I think as long as as long as even winning the league is a possibility, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so enjoyable. Yeah, and I think as well, if you look at, we've got some difficult games coming up, um, but they'll but they'll fancy it, you know. They'll fan this this, you know. We've got Leicester, then we've got Leeds away. Well, who knows what's going to happen there? Arsenal at home, Saints will fancy that, and then Villa at home, Saints will fancy that. 
They're Man United revenge. Yeah, Rwenge. Um, so, like, yeah, it's really exciting. Ralph is just a, a hero amongst men, and um, the team, yeah, to a man, they're brilliant. Tom, I'm going to move on to a different topic now, Go on, which then. is listener emails. So the last time we spoke, we we talked about how our listener figures were going up in America and put in a bit of a request, yeah, asking listeners why why do they support Saints and say, um, you know, th- this is where people from the North American continent are better than British people. So <laughs> I don't know how many podcasts you listen to and how many you've actually ever written into or engaged with the, the podcast host or sent an email into. But us Brits, we're not very good at that sort of thing. Americans and Canadians are great at it. And so we've got, a, a, I'm going to read a handful of emails um, from some of our listeners. And you know, one of the things which I was Funny, interesting. Why, why, why are these people who live on the other side of the world supporting the Saints? So, firstly, we've got Brinsley, massive supporter over here in Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Always listen to the pod, and I think I have done from close uh, to when we started. He made out what from a- the support was based on a bit of an extensive search into family history, where the family lived before they left the UK for Canada in the early 1900s. Back in 2013, we had decided to find a Premier League team to support and the criteria was it needed to be an area my family had lived at some point as we had the family tree going back many, many years, but um, also couldn't be a front runner. So didn't want to support one of the big teams. Narrowed it down to a couple of teams, but the deal was sealed when I found um, this attached postcard in some papers that I inherited from my great granny. And as soon as I saw it, the deal was sealed and I have been a diehard ever since. I get up at 7am sometimes even as early as 4am to watch every match, went to a match a few years back and can't wait to make further trips. Um, This was a letter written from her to my great-grandfather who was in the British military over in India. Great-granny and the family had just sold their home, which was in the Southampton area and was staying in Southampton before, before coming to Canada. What I hadn't noticed until a few years after discovering the postcard at the bottom is that as they said, they watched the Titanic sail out a neat little time, but maybe... If I had seen it, a foreshadowing Saints, a roller coaster, I should have known any team I picked would bring as much pain as Nooks, which is ice hockey, and they're cresting 50 years of utter disappointment. He's 47. Um, so there we go. So w- what we've been sent is a, um, a postcard of the Bargate in Southampton and then a lovely postcard uh, from his granny, all linking to Southampton. So uh, that's pretty good reason, Tom. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I'm amazed that I, there's always, um, when I, I lived for a year in Texas and um, I was always amazed because one of the good things about living in America is you can watch any football game on TV. And I used to go to a bar called Fado in Austin at uh, the games would start at nine in the morning. And it was always amazing how many football fans are in the pub, they're in the pub at nine in the morning. Yeah, proper dedication. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Let's um, titles entitled "Weird American Fan." <laughs> Jeremy, we don't think you're weird. I'm just going to put that out there. So this one's from Jeremy. Um, he's written a two-part email. I'm just going to read part one because otherwise. Uh, we'll be here for quite a long time. He came into the Southampton fandom with the hiring of Ronald Koeman. Wasn't following him, just happened to come in at the same time he became manager. Probably one of the stupidest stories. I was doing my family genealogy and my mother family. We from it. As I began tracking down the family members, I ended up in the area circa 859. I mean, that is going back. He's done a good effort there on his family tree. 
going back to the year 859. Um, so being stuck at that point, the next logical step was to pick a Premier League club to follow based on the proximity to my long-gone ancestors. Seeing that Southampton were just down the road, I jumped on that train and never left, not even after discovering that the lineage I tracked down was wildly incorrect. So I have no idea where my family is from, but I'm now a Saints fan and call that a win any day of the week. So both of them coming from family trees and both of them thinking it was a, a weird way to do it. Um, I was going to say, I was very impressed that he'd managed to track his family tree all the way back to 859 because that's a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I, in America as well, that's like not birth of a nation stuff, but it's not, what is it? Yeah, it's not far off birth of a nation. Is no, it? it's way before America was found, it was discovered by Columbus. I mean, obviously, there were people, eight, the year 859, not 1859, oh, over a thousand years ago, Tom. I, I'm, I'm, mm. This is like a lot of like people that claim they're related to, I don't know, someone super like Genghis Khan and stuff. I'm never sure about this, John. Yeah. But impressive. Do you want to hear more? Yeah, go on. Give us yeah. one more. So we've got Nate. My name is Nate. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I've been a diehard Southampton supporter since the 3rd of October, 2016. Very precise. I like that, Nate. <laughs> Uh, reason I became a Southampton fan was due to my former soccer coach, and he says he's not going to apologise. No, he is going to apologise for using the word soccer instead of football, but he can't help it. Um, uh, became a Southampton fan was due to my former soccer coach requiring all of his players to watch Premier League matches every weekend. He encouraged all of his players to watch professional soccer games to be exposed to a high level of tactics. One weekend, I turned on NBC Sports, and the very first Premier League game that I watched was Southampton 3-1 thumping of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. That was a good game, wasn't it, that one? Which one was that? That was the... Was that Graciana Pella? Oh, Stephen Davis. Yeah. Oh, that was a great game. Yeah, Pella scored. And Mane scored as well, I think. Yeah. From that point on, I've been hooked on Saints, not missing a single game since watching the euphoric reactions of the Southampton away sport that day brought a feeling of raw joy and excitement that I still feel every time I watch a Southampton match. Uh, to follow up Tom's hypothesis for why Southampton is appealing to foreign supporters, I agree with everything he said. I can't even remember what he said now last time, Tom. It was so long ago. <laughs> to add on, I think uh, the reason why Southampton is growing a much larger audience in America is because fans of the big six are extremely annoying. Same over here. Many of the many United Arsenal fans that I've encountered can't even name more than two or three players from their club, even though they walk around wearing their club's kit all the time. I'm not saying there aren't any respectable big six supporters in America, but there is a high percentage of glory hunters. It's safe to say that soccer has become trendy in America, which has led to a, an oversaturation of big six supporters who don't actually have a passion for the sport. The reason why many Americans get hooked on Southampton is the tribal awe about the club. The deadness of the Southampton fans riding the road at Southampton cannot be matched by any other club. And I guarantee that any Southampton fan you'll encounter from outside the UK has a deep admiration for the club, because why else would anyone support this team? Yeah, and wasn't there a documentary in America about Saints as well, which is quite, which has made them quite popular, like an NBC Sports documentary or something? Yeah, called? yeah, that's that, we've definitely we've come across that before, haven't mm -hmm. we? Yeah, but I, I mean, I sometimes click on the comments on um, football things, and some you of go the below the line, Tom. That's dangerous yeah, games to do on the internet. Tree comes from non-UK, yeah, you know, non. UK-based soccer fans, let's just say. But, like, I, you know, Saints is a family, and we welcome everyone to this church, John. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. And I, I'd love to hear from some more listeners as well, especially, yeah, we, we've had a, a few highlights there from the North American continent. Um, 
tell us about your supporting of saints from you know from asia africa mm. um well, you know the numbers where do we get listeners from you're into that you're tuned into this kind of tech wizardry yeah i mean i i can let me get let me dial in tom to the stats yeah. Which is just currently loading here. I mean, why, why did you start Sporting Saints? I know we've covered this before, Tom, a, a while back, but... Yeah, mum and dad from the New Forest, um, from Blackfield near Langley. And um, my dad got two tickets to the 1976 Cup final. And he took my mum, who he was dating at the time, and not my uncle. And it's still um, a mere... 40 something years on still a bone of contention between the two of them my uncle johnny who i think might be listening to this podcast i'm sorry about that john um but yeah uh, so yeah mom and dad um, and he so this is a story my sorry just humor me a second my dad's support is from southampton i think my dad's granddad was originally from halifax and uh got the tr- they they moved to the new forest because my dad's granddad when he was a little boy had um like bad asthma bad lungs and they were like you need to move away from the smoky north and move somewhere where the air is clean so they moved the family his parents i think moved the family from i think halifax to 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 the new forest for the clean air and and you know now they're you know then they, they settled there for a number of years so yeah all about family john yeah yourself you've got proper southampton heritage haven't you well i mean again it's a family connection so when I was interested in football, my great granny um, revealed that her her father was a football player. So my no, not my great granny, my granny revealed that. So it was my great grandfather. It was Albert Hoskins or Bert Hoskins. You can look him up. It's on SaintsPlayers.co.uk. Played for Saints, managed Wolves, a few other clubs he was involved in. So that that was. But we used to go to the football with my granny quite a lot, and yeah, she's been to cup finals and everything. Tom, she has proper football heritage. Yeah. My dad with dad, and he used to um, lift him and stop pay for the kid. And apparently, he used to turn up at like the Dell would open at twelve, and all games were at three o'clock on Saturday. And maybe some fans who are more mature fans than us can confirm this. But I think he used to open like eleven thirty, and they used to just sit there. And then the players would come out at like quarter to three for a warm up, which involved kicking some balls at each other. Ten to three, go back in, and then the game would start. <laughs> for like six minutes. It's mad, isn't it? And uh, and then go back up. My dad used to sit next to Nick Holmes, uh, mum. There we go. Yeah, so a little bit Saints heritage. I mean, Tom, I, I could tell you the, the the areas where we have a lot of supporters. So I mean, we've got a lot in the US, Australia, Norway, Canada, Ireland, Spain, Hong Kong. That's I suppose it's not surprising with the large expat community. Lots of European countries down here and you know, places like New Zealand, South Africa, where there's quite a lot of um, British people. I suppose kind of getting into the sort of weirder areas, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, Cayman Islands, Bahrain, Bermuda. Well, if, if any of our Bermuda... Myanmar. I'd love to know who's listening Myanmar. Well, if any of the fans in Bermuda or the Cayman Islands want to have a, you know, want to put us up and have an in-person podcast for, you know, if they want to put us up for a couple of weeks in their beach houses, we can we can do that, John. We're flexible. How about this? Listeners in Nepal, I wonder if there's someone scaling Everest using the Saints FC podcast as motivation. Go on, push. You can make the summit. Yeah. Nepal. Fascinating stuff. 
Yeah, but let, let us know. I mean, maybe we'll come up with some sort of prize. If you, you know, the most obscure place that you're listening to the to the Cephsy well in a global pandemic that's locked <laughs> yeah. down. Yeah. Well, Matthew Markstone, who's a good listener and friend of the podcast, he came over, didn't he, John, yeah. to watch games? Yeah, from California, which is great. Big Brilliant. shout out to Matt if you're listening. Yeah. Um, Tom, next up is the FA Cup. FA Cup third round. I love the FA Cup, but I'm really excited about Saints in the Premier League at the moment as well. The Shrews on Saturday, 8pm. 8 Doesn't feel right, does it, for an FA Cup third round tie? Um, no, but at least it's after kids' bedtime. I'm very sure. anti-6pm kickoffs. by the way. Doesn't work uh, with my lifestyle. Well, for me, that's bed and, bed and bath time. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, causes... Uh, problems so i agree john if saints could avoid 6 p.m's that would be great also i don't think we've record there's not a large sample size there uh, is is the fa cup match against shrewsbury win then we have his fourth set so shrewsbury i i looked at shrewsbury shrewsbury i looked at this they are um not doing great i think it's fair to say in league one um, they're like 16th or 17th in League One um, um, but you know anything can happen um, the, Steve Cottrell the manager is he ex-Saints oh, I've just made that up um, yeah, I think he might be but um, yeah you know look, I think that what's interesting about this game is um, it, it, he's not ex-Saints we've just made that up completely John <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's but, Bournemouth. Um, that was close. <laughs> same part of the world. Um, but, you know, we're going to see... I think he obviously needs to rest some players, doesn't he? This game comes at the right time. Um, so who do we think? We see Forster's going to get a game. We might see the lesser spotted suit. Mm. I mean, uh, Shrewsbury have caused one of the biggest FA Cup upsets before. They beat Everton. Locked oh. Everton out of the FA Cup. Relatively recently, 2003. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a long time ago, John. But, I, you know, I think we'll see Valerie get a game. You'll probably see Bokins, Salisu. I think you'll probably stick with Stevens or Bednarek. Ward Prowse obviously has to play every game. Um, Didn't Shrewsbury play against Liverpool last season in the FA Cup? Um, I, 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 your FA Cup knowledge is is better than than mine. Um, looks like they might have done actually. Yeah, they were held to a two two draw. So we shouldn't we shouldn't take these guys lightly. No. Um. Yeah, you're right, Tom. That's a fascinating piece of. It was nearly a year ago that game. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, Can't imagine why we would have forgotten stuff that happened in January last year, Tom. I mean, practically nothing's happened since. No, I was, I'd been a dad for two weeks by that point, so my mind was fresh as a daisy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it... Yeah, we'll see, you know, Shane Long's going to probably get a game. Do you think uh, he will? I don't think he will. I think it's going to be Lundulu and Teller up front. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I think so. I think so. But yeah, I think we might see Salisi, which is a a real treat. Mm. That would be a surprise, wouldn't it? Yeah, he's got to play at some point. 
Right, Tom, I think, you know, we're speculating over which squad players um, we're going for. I think our last time out before the Arsenal game, we looked at the five fixtures and said, you know, how many points do you want from this? And we thought, you know, maybe 10 would keep us in the title race. We've only had six points from that, but we're still in it. We're four points off the top, Tom. And this this is a... And I think the victory last night was Saints playing out their skins. But some of the other games, you know, you could say that play, Saints were playing within themselves and didn't get the results. So we're, we're still, it's still happening, Tom. I'm Leicester. Leicester are really good. Don't get me wrong, but we can beat Leicester. They, you know, and they can easily beat us. I think anything but a loss is a great result yeah. against Leicester. And, and then we move into a run of games, which not easy. Um, there's games that Saints will fancy there. You know, it's really exciting. I don't know what to say, but it's just really exciting. Let's just win the rest of our games this season. Every it's all season. out, Ralph. If he does that, we'll win the league. I'm saying exactly. that's my prediction, John. Right. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for sticking us with this long, if you're still listening at this point. <laughs> um, Maybe you're out on your daily exercise. Let us know. Saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Saintsfcpodcast. Tom, it's been a pleasure to chat to you and see your face through the uh, screen of the my laptop. I've not gone back to work yet. That's tomorrow. So by the end of the week, I'll be fed up of looking at my laptop again. So it's nice that you got in there early, Tom. Yeah, you know, this is, I'm, you know, premier content right now, John. Exactly. A couple of days, sick of this. Right. Good night, everyone. And uh, hope you enjoy listening to this episode. And uh, let's see. Hopefully we can beat Shrewsbury and then kick on in the Premier League again. Thank you very much, everyone. And goodbye.